Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Uh, We have talked the last few weeks now about uh, how the world uh, is different than it used to be. Uh, Different even than it was, say, two years ago. Uh, Certainly different than 20 or 30 or so on. Uh, And the older you are, the more different it seems. Yes? Yes. Uh, So we're looking at, uh, I mean, we've been talking about all kinds of different ways that the world has changed. And really, that's just the the tangible world. Like the the way we interact with each other, uh, the ways that we use to interact with each other, the language we use, the clothes we wear, all of those kinds of things uh, have, have changed. Um, One of the uh, unique things, maybe not unique, uh, this was a new experience for me that I discovered when I moved here uh, quite a while ago, was I would ask people for directions because I moved here before there was like Google Maps. uh, And I say, well, how do I get to? And they say, oh, that's easy. So what you're going to do is you're going to go down this road three blocks until you get to the old such and such building. And then you're going to take a left and just keep driving until you get to the building that 40 years ago used to be this thing, and then you'll take it right. Like, y'all, that doesn't help me. I'm glad that, that, that you know that Woolworths used to be at that corner, but I did not know, and that does not, does not help me. Uh, the world changes, and that's just the tangible world. We're not, we're not even talking about virtual reality and cryptocurrency and non-fungible tokens and some of you are like, what are you talking about? And I don't know, so I'm going to stop there because I have no idea what that stuff is. The world is, is different. And any time that we realize the world around us has changed, maybe it's when we go off to college or when our kids go off to college or when we get a new job or a relationship comes to an end. Anytime we realize the world is different, We ask the question, or at least we should ask the question, okay, what now? What do I do now? How do I engage in the world around me now? And in fact, if we don't ask the what now question, we will continue to engage with the world around us like it's the world we used to live in. So for example, if when you go off to college, you don't ask the what now, how do I engage in this world now question, you're gonna continue to engage in the world like you're still living at home with mommy, and that just doesn't work very well when you're no longer living at home, right? We have to ask the question, what now? And so as we wrap up this series this morning, that's a question I want us to wrestle with uh, a little bit this morning, is how do we engage in this world at this time? How do we engage in this world at this time? Uh, early followers of Jesus uh, had to ask this question. How do we engage in this new world? Because this Jesus guy had changed everything. He predicted that he would die and rise from the dead, and then he went out and did it. And for those who had been following him, this was not what they expected, but they understood it to be an incredible gift to the world that we were offered forgiveness and eternal life, this changed our perspective on everything. So how do we engage in this world at this time? To my knowledge, there were no conversations among early Jesus followers about virtual reality or cryptocurrency or NFTs 
but they did spend some time talking about what is reality. What is actually true about what we have seen and heard? What makes up our reality and how do we engage in this rapidly changing world? Now, we may feel like our world is changing even more rapidly. It feels, every year, feels like every year that goes by, every change that happens, the change just gets more and more rapid. But the principles of how we engage with the world around us actually have not changed nearly as much as the world has. An early Jesus follower and church planter named Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church that we've been digging into the last few weeks or digging into part of it. And he reminded this deeply divided Roman church that they actually had a lot in common, namely that they were really sinful and that God loved them a whole lot and that nothing, no amount of that sinfulness could separate them from that love of God. He reminded them that they needed to be changed by God, not by culture. He reminded them that they needed to really love each other, like actually love each other, not just pretend to love each other. He reminded them that they needed to honor and respect and submit to each other and the authorities over them. All of these things are part of how we engage in the world we find ourselves in. He even reminded them to pay their taxes and owe nothing to anyone other than their obligation to love others, which is where we're gonna pick up this letter this morning in Romans chapter 13, verse eight. He writes, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. So how do we engage in this world at this time? The answer is as timeless as it is familiar. You love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And if that sounds familiar and you were hoping for something earth-shatteringly different, that is not this sermon, apparently. You love your neighbor. Which really is just Paul quoting his master, Jesus, right? Where Jesus said, out of everything you need to know, out of everything you need to do, the two most important things you need to know is that you need to love God and love your neighbor. Love God with everything you are, love your neighbor with everything you have. Okay, fine. Familiar, timeless, great. But what does it actually mean to love our neighbor? And who is our neighbor anyway? Somebody once asked Jesus that question. He was in a conversation with Jesus in front of a whole lot of other people and said, okay, Jesus, I get that I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who really is my neighbor? Because I don't wanna love the wrong person. It says love my neighbor. I don't wanna go loving the wrong person. Besides, this loving people thing I've discovered is really hard. So I don't wanna do that with too many more people than I have to. So who is 
my neighbor. And Jesus said, let me tell you a story. There's this guy who looks and sounds and acts and talks a whole lot like you. And he's walking down the road one day and he gets jumped and beat up near to the point of death and robbed. So close to death, in fact, he's just left on the side of the road to die. And as he's lying there, a celebrity comes walking down that same road. It's one of those celebrities who's known for all of their generosity and the impact they have and and the positive changes they're making in the world. And they come walking along and they see this man lying there, dying, maybe dead. And they cross to the other side of the road and they just keep walking. A little while later, a leader of your community comes along, you know, one of those people who really does love and invest in our community. They really take care of other people. They take care of the community. They want what's best for our people, best for our society. And they come along this person who looks and acts and talks like you and they see them broken and beaten up and they cross to the other side of the street and they keep going because something in their schedule is just more important. And then a little while later, as this man has been lying there for who knows how long, simply dying, your enemy comes along. Now let's pause, make sure we have an enemy in mind. Who is that enemy for you? That Biden voter or Trump voter, that guy at work you can't stand, that gossip in your family, the Islamic terrorist, the Russian, the Ukrainian, who is that enemy? Your enemy comes along and they see this man lying on the side of the road, dying. And they stop and they help. And in order to help, your enemy has to scoop up this man who's a whole lot like you into some form of embrace so he can lift him into his transportation so he can get him off down the road and into the ER so that he can get some help. And once he gets him there, he makes sure that he pays for every bill this man might incur and says, just make sure you help him heal. And Jesus then looks at the man he's telling this story to. He says, so, who loved his neighbor? Now, Jesus had identified the enemy. The enemy was the Samaritans. This is the story that we know is the story of the good Samaritan. And the guy couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan. He just said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, yeah. Yeah, now go and love like him. Why would Jesus use an enemy as the hero of this story? Not not as the victim, but as the hero of the story. I think Jesus knows that as human beings, we're very tribal. Tribal. 
And we have a tendency to believe that the people who will act right, who will do right, the people who love and are worthy of our love are the ones who look and act and talk like us. And we know as Christians, as Jesus followers, that we're supposed to love our neighbor. And so we'll gather together with other people who look and act and sound like us. We'll band together with like-minded people. And we'll say, I'm gonna love you. And in doing so, I'm gonna check that love my neighbor box. The fact that you look and sound and act and vote like me makes you easier to love. So I will gather you, I will be part of you, I will be with you, I will love you, and now I've loved my neighbor. We don't know how to love those who are opposite of us. We really struggle with that. And I don't mean just a little bit different, I mean like opposite of us. And we really struggle with it because, let's be honest, we think they're wrong. And we might even be right. They might be wrong. <laughs> and we're really afraid that if we go love them, that person who's opposite of us, that we're gonna accidentally affirm their wrongness. That we're gonna make them think we agree with them. We can't have that. So we choose not to love. Like, Somehow withholding love is a lesser sin than accidentally affirming their wrongness. Jesus lived with a love that was fully infused with grace and truth. And he has called us to go and love with the same, to live our lives with a love fully infused with grace and truth. But sometimes we choose to withhold love and withhold grace in the incorrect belief that somehow withholding love and grace will make the truth stand out better. Like somehow, if we just choose not to love, they'll get it that they're wrong and be invited to change. And Paul says, that's not the command on our life. As people following Jesus, that's not the command he gave us. Paul says, if you're going to engage in this world, make sure if you do nothing else in your engagement with the people around you, you love your neighbor. Okay. So I guess if I'm gonna follow that command, I should make sure I do nice things for the people around me. I should make sure I, I take care of some people, even people opposite, different, and so wrong compared to me. Paul says there's actually a little more to it than that. <laughs> Look at verse nine of Romans 13 again. He writes, for the commandments say, you must not commit adultery. You must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the fantastic things about lists like this is we can go, well, excellent, I won't do those things. 
or at least I won't do all those things. Like the coveting thing is kind of a problem because I walked by a house the other day that's for sale and it's a really nice house and I can't really afford it, but like I can think about what it'd be like to live in that house. And then there's the truck down the road that I really like. And, uh, and then I hop on Instagram or Facebook and I see all the smiling people in that person's life. I go, man, I would trade them. Their life seems really cool. So the coveting thing might be a problem. And adultery has definitely tripped up a person or two over time. So like, I don't want to be too arrogant to say that would never, like, but I'm not going to do that. And I'm certainly, I'm not going to murder somebody. I don't think. My, te- my, my kids are not teenagers yet, but I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to murder anybody. So at least I got that one. Let's, uh, Look at some other words of Jesus for just a moment, shall we? Uh, these words are found, found in Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 21. He says, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. And can I just say that that says nothing about the person being in front of you. This could be behind their back. This could be any old politician you could think of. Moving on, verse 27, he says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And ladies, I know the language there is his heart, but you don't get a pass on this either. Okay, so loving your neighbor also means in your own heart, you end, end, finish your hate, lust, and jealousy. And can I just say that this is a pretty, taking this way wider, this is a pretty awesome goal for how we love our neighbor in the world, uh, an aspiration that we would end hate and lust and jealousy in the world and in doing so love our neighbor. Paul says in your own heart, end your hate and lust and jealousy because In your attempts to love your neighbor, your hatred, your bitterness, your lust, your objectification, your pining after their stuff or their life, this will make you incapable of loving your neighbor. You cannot hate your neighbor and love them. You cannot turn them into an object for your pleasure or an object of your jealousy and love them in the way that Jesus loves them. It will cause your attempts to love to fail. Loving your neighbor is not just a matter of your actions. It is a matter of your character. And Paul says, there is no time to wait. He said, we need to start doing this and we need to start doing it yesterday. This isn't like, well, I will love my neighbor later. I'll get my heart in order some other time. He said, no, no, this needs to happen now. And he has a really specific reason why he feels like this needs to happen immediately, why he has some urgency around this. That's in the next verse, uh, verse 11 of Romans 13. He says, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. 
What Paul is talking about is he's talking about the return of Jesus. We believe that this same Savior who died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven will return from heaven one day. That he will come back to make all things right and make all things new, to establish the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. And he says, this could happen any day. And 2,000 years later, we can sit back and go, oh, boy, was he wrong. But we actually believe this. In the denomination we're part of, the Christian Missionary Alliance, this is one of the four tent poles of our faith and our beliefs and should be part of every Christ-following faith, that Jesus is our coming King. He is returning And the way that we say that in the Christian Missionary Alliance, the way it's worded in our statement of faith is that that return of Jesus is imminent. Could happen at any moment. So people, there are are a number of people now across our country and our world today who are really fearful that we are in the end times that we are in these last days, that Jesus' return is right around the corner. They're looking at the world around them self-destruct and going, this has got to be it. And so I have had people approach me and in comments or sort of roundabout questions, essentially say or ask, is this the end times? And my answer is yes, and I don't know. And here's what I mean. We believe that the resurrection and ascension into heaven of Jesus established the beginning of the end of time. That Jesus' return could be any moment. It is imminent. We are living in the end times. As the president of our denomination likes to say, we are one of Jesus' end times families that we and everybody else following Jesus are part of the people following Jesus in the end times, in the last days. And I don't know when Jesus is coming back and neither do you and neither does anybody else. And I'm very confident in that because Jesus said, no one will know the day or the hour. He did say that there will be signs There will be things going on in the world that we can pay attention to and see that his return may be any moment. And those things are almost constantly happening in the world. Those signs and signals are really ever present, which just reinforces this idea, this truth, that Jesus's return is imminent. It could happen now or now, or please Jesus now, right? Like any moment, Some of you are looking forward to Monday going, please, Jesus, now. Like any moment he could come back. And we believe that he will return and he will make all things right and he will make all things new. So what I do know is that we should love like we are in the end times because like the people in Rome that Paul is writing to, we are. Jesus' return could be at any moment. So if this is the end of time, if Jesus' return is tomorrow or next week or Christmas, 
How do we engage in these days, in this world? For starters, be a light in this world. Be a light in the darkness around us. Paul puts it this way as his letter continues. Verse 12. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. When we are afraid of the days that we're living in, when we look around at the world and are afraid of the days that we're living in, we are fixated on the darkness around us. We fix our attention on the dark. But if we've believed the message and the life and the person of Jesus, we remember that these days are not the end of life. These days, the end of time, Jesus' return, that's the end of darkness. That's Jesus, the light of the world, coming to put an end to the darkness and establish his kingdom of light. When Jesus was walking this earth, he promised he would rise from the dead, and then he did. He overcame death so that you and I could overcome death. Jesus didn't have to. Jesus has always been eternal. He didn't have to conquer death on his own behalf. He was going to live forever. He chose to put our skin on, live in our pigsty, and die on our behalf so that you and I could overcome death. The end of time is not the end of life. It is just the end of the darkness. Death and sin will not have the last say on the last day. For some of us, death and sin feel ever-present and ever-dark and looming and foreboding, but they will not have the last say on that last day. So we throw off our dark deeds like dirty clothes. We ditch the drunkenness and the promiscuity and the fighting and the jealousy, which, by the way, please note that fighting and jealousy are on the same line as drunkenness and wild parties and sleeping around. So let's be really careful with our high horses and let's get rid of all of it. All of it. We ditch all of it. Why? Because those things are the opposite of loving our neighbor. Because when you turn your neighbor into an object, when you turn your neighbor into somebody who's there for your pleasure, when you turn your neighbor into a goal that you're trying to achieve, when you turn your neighbor into someone who's in between you and what you want, you are not loving your neighbor. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't have fun. It doesn't mean we don't fight for justice. It doesn't mean that we don't go to the parties. It doesn't mean that we don't go love the people who are stuck in those things because Jesus did all of that. It means that we don't do anything that devalues or dehumanizes or diminishes the humanity of our neighbor. Okay, Paul. So what do we do instead? 
If we're not gonna live life that way, like the rest of the world around us is saying we should, what are we gonna do instead? He writes this, verse 14. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. How do we live in these last days? Be a light and be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. Clothe yourself in his presence. Let his light shine in your life. Throw off the darkness like dirty clothes and clothe yourself in his light. Love the people he loves, even the people who are nothing like you. Sit with him, be with him. Let him go to work on your heart. Let him change your heart in the way you love. Let him fill your heart with the love that he has for your neighbors and your enemies and everybody in between. Let him deal with your evil desires and change the way that you see the world and engage with the world and love the world. Because loving your neighbor is not just a matter of action. It is a matter of your character. When we ask the how do questions, how do I love my neighbor? How do I heal division? How do I love people who are so different than me or make me angry or are so wrong? How do I engage in these scary times of the world around me? When we ask those how do questions, we are asking questions about everything outside of us. And those are good questions and they deserve good answers. The questions may be outside of us, but the answer to those questions will never begin outside of us. The questions to the how do, the how do questions, the answer to the how do questions begins in us. How do begins in you. How do, that's kind of bouncy, right? How do begins in you. How do I go about this thing? How do I engage in the world around me? How do I live in this world at this time? Begins in your character. Loving your neighbor requires actions born out of your character. Being a light in the darkness requires the light of Christ to be shining in you and your own heart and your own mind. Matt Hanna who until recently, I believe, was a pastor uh, down in Vancouver, was the keynote speaker at a pastor's conference I was at a few years ago. And he said that he frequently prays this prayer, and I'm not gonna quote it quite right, I don't think, but it was something like this. He prayed, Lord God, please do whatever you have to do in me so that you can do whatever you want to do through me. Do in me whatever you have to do, so you can do through me whatever you want to do. That God has these things he wants to do through us. He has placed us in the lives of the people around us. We are living in a time that God cares about, among people that God loves, 
And he wants to communicate that love through you. And Matt's prayer was just recognizing that that starts with God going to work in me and in you, going to work on our hearts to say, God, do whatever you have to do. And that is a scary thing to pray. (laughs) God, do whatever you have to do. God, I trust you. God, I trust that you are good. I will open myself and my heart and my mind to you. God, do whatever you have to do in me so you can do whatever you want to do through me. Because there is a world of people around us who deserve to know how much they are loved by the God of the universe. And God has placed us here to do that. So as we seek to do that this week and as we respond in song, let me pray for us. Father God, we do believe that you are at work and you want to be at work in us you are at work in the lives of the people around us. We believe we can trust you, that you are good. And so we give our lives to you. We give our inner lives to you. We give our hopes and our dreams to you, our fears. And God, we give you permission to be at work in the, on the darkness that's in us. God, Would you do whatever you have to do in us? Would you do whatever you have to do in me, to do through me, to do through us, whatever you want to do, to communicate your love and your grace and your truth to the world around us? We pray all this in the sacrificial, loving, holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.